My name is Keith Cowart, lead pastor of Christ Community, and each week I or one of our pastors will bring a message that we pray will stir your heart. We believe that God is the source of life and truth and that His Word is one of the primary means through which we make that vital connection with God. It's our hope that whether you're already a believer or just beginning to open your heart to God, that the truth of His Word would point you to Him. He came that you would have life and that more abundantly. Amen. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. That's okay for practice. We'll let you off on this one. But uh, it's going to come up again and, and make sure that when we shout, He is risen. Let's do it like a people who believe it, who know that He is risen. I, I don't think it's going to surprise anyone this morning that... Uh, to hear that I'm going to tell you a story of resurrection. But what might be a surprise is that it's not the resurrection that took place three days after Jesus was crucified. This resurrection actually took place several days, perhaps a few weeks, before Jesus was crucified. Now, don't worry, this, this story will lead to that one, and we will ultimately celebrate that great resurrection that we're all here to celebrate, but that's not where we're going to start. I want us to start in the 11th chapter of John. We are in a study of the book of John, and uh, I just felt led to go to chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 44. It's a long passage, so I'm not going to read it to you. I just want to tell it. I want to tell you the story. There will be a few verses on the overhead. You can turn there if you want. I, I do want you to know where it is so that you can read it for yourself. But what I'd really love for you to do is just to, to listen, to open your hearts and just hear the story and let God speak to your heart exactly what he needs to speak. There was a man named Lazarus. And Lazarus had two sisters, Perhaps you've heard of them before. Their names were Mary and Martha. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived in a a small town called Bethany. Bethany was just about a mile and a half or two miles from Jerusalem, a very, very short walk between the two with a valley separating them. And, And Lazarus and his two sisters, from the clues that we have in Scripture, we believe they were a fairly prominent family, possibly wealthy but at the very least, highly respected and known throughout the region. What we absolutely know for certain is that Mary and Martha and Lazarus had a very, very special relationship with Jesus. They come into his life uh, several times, in and out of his life, and every time that we see them, there's a level of intimacy and there's a depth of love that is really unusual. Jesus was very, very close to this family. And one day, Lazarus fell ill. And the family knew immediately that that this was an illness that was likely going to end in his death. And so Mary and Martha quickly penned a very short message, sent it to Jesus, and the message simply said, Lord, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. Uh, it's interesting that there's no, there's not, this is not a cry for help. 
there's no specific request in it at all. They simply say, Lord, the, love, the one you love is sick. Now, now, some people think that the reason they didn't say anymore is that, that they knew that as soon as Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, Jesus would immediately drop whatever he was doing and he would hightail it back to Bethany to take care of this need for his dear friend, Lazarus. Others say that you really have to remember the context. And the context of this is that Jesus had just been in Jerusalem a few days earlier. He had come under the most, uh, the most vicious attack yet in his ministry from the religious leaders. And Jesus had just barely escaped with his life to get to where he is now. And so they say that Mary and Martha knew that Jesus couldn't come back. They knew that it was too dangerous. And they simply wanted him to know the one you love is sick. I believe whatever the case may be, that they were hoping against hope that Jesus would do something. That Jesus would do something. Do you know what he did? Nothing. Jesus said to his disciples, this sickness will not end in death. And then he proceeded to stay right where he was for two more days. Jesus did absolutely nothing. Now, after two days, he turned to his disciples and said, Okay, now it's time to go to Bethany. Lazarus is asleep, and I need to go and wake him up. Now, this time, it's the disciples that are, are anxious because they also know what just happened to him in Jerusalem because they were right by his side. They had also just escaped by the skin of their teeth. And so they're thinking, Jesus, we can't go back to Jerusalem. We can't go back to Jerusalem, uh, especially if he's just sleeping. And if he's sleeping, he's going to get better. He'll wake up. And that's when Jesus says to them, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. Now, Jesus didn't get a second message. Nobody came bringing him a message saying, hey, Jesus, now it's too late. He just knew. Jesus knew that Lazarus was dead. And that must have been even more confusing to the disciples. Because if it had been risky... To go back to Bethany to try to heal Lazarus, it was downright reckless to go back to, to Bethany that close to Jerusalem merely for a funeral. But Jesus said, we're going to Bethany. Jesus was up to something. He kept telling them, this is all for God's glory. And by that, he didn't mean that God was going to be praised, what he was really saying is that God is about to reveal his glory in such a way that it will leave no doubt whatsoever of the true identity of his son, Jesus. So Jesus and his disciples made their way to Bethany. Now it took him a couple of days to make the trip. And when you think about the fact that he had died two days earlier... And now Jesus has taken a two-day trip to Bethany. That means that Jesus would have arrived on the fourth day. And now we actually begin to understand why Jesus delayed for two days. Because you see, there was a very common belief among the Jewish people. That on the fourth day, the soul actually departed for good. They, they believe that for the first three days, the soul stayed kind of close to the body. It's almost like the soul was just roaming around near the body. But on the fourth day, the soul left the body for good. 
And so they knew that on the fourth day, this is why the fourth day was always the day of the most intense mourning. Because now the soul has gone and there is no hope whatsoever. They understood that if Lazarus was to come back now, only God himself could bring Lazarus back. So Jesus comes in on the fourth day. And Martha is the first one to meet him. Now, if you know the other story, then it won't surprise you that Martha is the one that met him on the road. Martha was the active one. Martha was the one that was always up taking care of what needed to be taken care of. Martha would have been the one to be sure that Jesus was received well, while Mary, her sister, was at home in the floor weeping. And so Martha comes to Jesus, and and she says to him, If you had been here, my brother would have been healed. If you had been here, my brother would have been healed. I don't want you to hear anger or bitterness in her words. There was none of that in Martha's words. She was simply, it was actually just a statement of settled faith. She said, Jesus, I know you could have healed him if you had been here. She didn't blame him for not being there. She just simply stated the fact that I know you could have healed him if you were here. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise. And Martha thought he was saying to her what we all say at funerals. You know, when we go to funerals, we say to those who have lost their loved one, you know you're going to see them again in heaven. You know you're going to see them again after the resurrection. That's exactly what Martha said. But that's when Jesus took the conversation to a whole other dimension. Because Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection, and he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus was saying to her, I am the source of eternal life. And eternal life is not something that happens on the day you die. Eternal life is something that happens the day you believe. In that moment, you will begin to experience life that is truly life, and it will never, ever stop. In essence, Jesus is saying to her, I am the Son of God. I am the Son of God. It was a direct claim to be the Son of God. And so he asked her, do you believe this, Martha? And Martha said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now, we often think of Peter's great confession, and it is a great confession, but I want to tell you, it's no greater than Martha's confession. This is one of the greatest confessions of faith in all the Bible. Martha says, I know that you are the Son of God. Now, she didn't know all that that meant for Lazarus, but she knew who he was. She knew he was the Son of God. Now, Martha, the busy one, was also the thoughtful one. And at some point, Martha knew that she needed to go get her sister. She knew that her sister would need and and very much want some time with Jesus. And so she said, Jesus, you stay here while I go get Mary. And so Jesus went back, I mean, so Mary, Martha went back to the house to get Mary. And, and, And she got her up and she said, the teacher is here. And immediately, Mary ran to where Jesus was. Now, you have to remember that in those days, families actually hired mourners to come and to be in the house and to make sure that the mourning never stopped. 
And so they were there for four days to weep and weep and weep. Well, when the mourners saw Mary get up and leave, they thought she was going to the tomb. And so they immediately thought, our job is to go with her and make sure there's plenty of weeping. And so they got up with her and followed her to where she met Jesus. And the scripture says that when Mary got to Jesus, she threw herself at his feet. And in between sobs, she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, those are exactly the same words that, Mary, that Martha had spoken earlier. Exactly the same words. Check it out in your own Bible. No different words. But I want to tell you that when Mary spoke those words, it had a very different meaning. Mary was fragile. Mary was overcome. Mary was completely distraught. Mary could not see how anything good could come out of this. And and, and the mourners who were with her actually just say it straight out. They say almost snidely, could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind have saved this man from death? Now, I want you to see that while Mary approaches Jesus in a different way than Martha, it's also important to see that Jesus responds to the two of them differently. Martha came with a measure of faith, and Jesus simply called her to a place of even greater faith. But when Mary comes weeping and distraught, overcome with sorrow, the word says this, Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit, and troubled. Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, you need to know that the Greek word that is translated here, deeply moved in spirit, is actually a word that was most commonly used for the snort of a horse. Now, that may sound strange to you, but let me help you to understand what's happening here. When I'm talking about a snort of a horse, I'm not just talking about a little snort that when a horse walks by. Picture in your mind a stallion raised up on his hind legs with his nostrils flared and his eyes blazing ready for battle. That is the word that was used to describe Jesus here. And every time that word is used in regards to people, it's always referring to someone who is very, very angry. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you know this is not the first time Jesus has been angry. There were things that made Jesus angry. But you look at this story and you say, why was he angry now? Why would his response to a weeping woman be anger? Now, you need to know that some people believe that he was actually angry at her lack of faith. That he was angry especially at the the mourners who were around her for their lack of faith. But I got to tell you, I don't buy that interpretation. I don't buy that teaching. Here's why. Because that would imply that all grief is inherently faithless. And that's not at all what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that there is a time to mourn. That there is nothing unfaithful about pain and suffering. So what was Jesus saying here? What was he doing? Let me tell you what I think he was doing. I think that Jesus was witnessing up close and personal the devastating effect of death in the lives of two people that he loved dearly. Jesus was experiencing their pain. 
And in their pain, Jesus was angered at the destruction that death brings into God's good creation. He was not angry at Mary or even the mourners. He was angry at death. And Jesus rose up within him. There was something that rose up within him that said, I am ready to do battle with this enemy called death. That was his first response. The second response was he was troubled, but then you see it played out in his actions. It says that as Jesus looked at Mary and saw her weeping, that Jesus wept. Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the whole Bible. But there is no scripture in all the Bible that demonstrates more powerfully God's ability through his son, Jesus Christ, to identify with our pain. Jesus saw and Jesus wept. But that's not the end of the story. This story does not end with weeping because Jesus then acts. Jesus rises up from that place. And and again, John says he was deeply moved a second time. This is the exact same word that we used earlier. The picture here is that Jesus rose up, went to the tomb with nostrils flaring and eyes blazing, ready to take on death on its own turf. And when he got there, Jesus said, somebody move the stone. Now, Martha immediately cried out, wait, 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 Jesus, don't do that. Uh, He's been dead for four days and the smell is going to be unbearable. You see, Martha knew that Jesus was the Messiah. Martha knew that Jesus had the power to heal. But to raise a man from the dead four days after he has died, when the soul has already departed, only God himself could bring Lazarus back now. And that's when Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And then Jesus prayed, I thank you that you have heard me, that, you're about, that what you're about to do will be for the benefit of those who are standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. And then we're told that Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Someone has said that in that moment, if Jesus had not called Lazarus by name, every tomb in Bethany and in Jerusalem would have opened up and all of the dead would have come out. That's how powerful Jesus' words were as he stood there at the tomb and he commanded them to come out. God the Father spoke in creation, let there be light, and there was light. And God the Son stood at the tomb and he spoke, Lazarus, come out. And the man got up and he stumbled out of the tomb, still in his grave clothes, but fully alive. Can anybody say hallelujah to that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But here's the thing. I want to remind you, and I want us to live with this for just a minute. I want to remind you that there was a point in the story where none of this made sense. 
There was a point in the story where Jesus knew what was going to happen, but Mary and Martha did not. And do you know why Mary and Martha had no idea what was going to happen? It's because Jesus did not tell them. He didn't tell them. He could have. I mean, Jesus could have sent him a letter back when he got that first message and said, hey, I know it looks bad. Don't worry, I'm on my way and I'll get there. And even if he dies, I will raise him from the dead. But that is not what Jesus did. You know what Jesus did? Nothing. You know what he said? Nothing. He didn't tell them what was happening. He didn't give them the plan. And there was a moment there where all was darkness. I mean, there, there was a moment there where everything seemed lost. And John makes sure that we know that it was not because Jesus was playing games with them. He says it was because he loved them that he remained two more days. So what is Jesus doing? Can I just tell you what I think he's doing? Here's what I believe. I believe Jesus was asking them to trust him. Jesus was asking them to trust him. I, I believe that Jesus was using the ver- that very season of confusion and pain to teach them to trust him, period. He did not give them the plan. He didn't even spare them the pain of their brother's death. He allowed them to go through the experience of sorrow and pain. But he did see. And he did care. So much so that his anger rose up within him against the sneer of death. And his heart broke for Mary as her heart was broken. Jesus saw, Jesus cared, but more importantly, Jesus had resurrection. And in the, in the very end, when all was said and done, Jesus turned death into life, mourning into laughter, and devastation into glorious celebration. Into glorious celebration. Now, here's what's really ironic. What's really ironic is that it was this resurrection story that was the beginning of the end for Jesus' ministry on earth. Because what happened was this, that the Jews who were there who witnessed this miracle of resurrection, John says in the gospel here, some of them believed. I've often thought, how in the world could you not believe Well, if you were standing there and you saw a man who'd been dead for four days come out, but John says some of them believed, but some of them, the religious ones, ran back to Jerusalem, went to the Pharisees, told them what had happened, and the Pharisees immediately freaked out. Called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, which was the leadership. Uh, They got together and they said, you know, this thing with Jesus is getting completely out of hand. Everybody is starting to follow him. Now, I want you to understand what was really going on. They knew that if Rome began to see all these people following Jesus, they would begin to fear that this was an uprising in the making and that Rome would come down and take power out of their hands and take it into their own hands to put down the rebellion or the uprising. This was a power play. They were concerned to keep Jesus in a place of weakness so that they could remain in power. And in verse 53 of John 11 we are told from that day on, they plotted to take his life. 
From that day on, they plotted to take his life. It would only be a matter of weeks before Jesus would be arrested, tried, condemned, and nailed to a cross. And I want you to understand that for the disciples, that would become their Lazarus moment. It would be in that moment when Jesus was lying dead in a tomb that their world would come crashing down all around them. When they would be in a place of darkness where they could not see the plan. Jesus had actually tried to give them clues. He had told them he would suffer and die. But they couldn't hear his plan because they were so consumed with their own plan that Jesus was about to set up an empire on earth and reign in this world. And so they missed all the clues. And now Jesus was gone. Jesus was dead. And they were completely alone. They were more than alone. They they were terrified because the whole world was now looking for them to do to them what they had just done to Jesus. They couldn't see the plan. But the Father had a plan. And this time it would be the Father, not the Son, who would come to the tomb. But this time he also would come with eyes blazing and nostrils flared to take death on once and for all. You can just imagine that Satan was reveling in the idea that he had just won a great victory. The Son of God was dead. But God came and like that horse, blazing eyes and flared nostrils, God came to the tomb, and when he rolled away the stone, there was nothing there but grave clothes. Jesus was gone. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. risen. And finally, it all made sense. Finally, it made sense, but not until after resurrection. I've got a feeling this morning that we've all had a Lazarus moment at some time in our lives. Every one of us has been at a place at some point in our lives where we couldn't see the plan. There was darkness all around us, and we, we we couldn't understand what God was doing or, or why he was doing it. I mean, maybe for you it was not something quite so dramatic as Mary and Martha. I mean, I remember a time for us as a congregation years ago when, when we were convinced that we had a plan to come to this site and to build a building, to leave the car dealership that was falling in around us. And we thought we needed to get here as soon as possible. And suddenly God spoke and he said, stop, just stop. Just stop what you're doing. And it didn't make sense. I mean, everything in us said, we'll be better off when we get there. And the Lord said, stop and stay where you are. And it wasn't until two years later, when God had given us an entirely different plan that now had no portables and all permanent construction with a million dollars less debt, that finally it made sense. You know what God was doing during that time? He was saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me? For some of you, God is simply saying, will you trust me? 
I'm calling you to take a step of faith. I'm calling you uh, to, to just put one foot of faith out before you. And I'm not going to give you the whole plan. I'm trying to teach you to learn to live by faith. Will you trust me? Now, I know that for some of you, it's, it's much deeper than that. For some of you, it's, it's very much like Mary and Martha, maybe even more troubling than Mary and Martha. There's some of you that have been in a place where something happened that you knew God could have prevented, but he did not. Or something that you knew God could do, but he chose not to do it. And that same cry rose up within you if you had only been here. If you had only been here, and perhaps it even went further than that, and you began to cry out, Lord, why weren't you there? Why didn't you prevent this? Or why didn't you cause that? Why didn't you stop him or her? Why didn't you stop me? God, where were you? You see, there's this thing called free will. And God wants lovers, not robots. But lovers must have a will. Lovers must be able to choose And some will choose to use that will to rebel. And everywhere there is rebellion, there is destruction and pain. Either in your own life or someone around you. Everywhere there is rebellion, there is destruction. And I want you to know this morning that the enemy wants you to believe that God does not see. Or maybe even more importantly, he wants you to believe that God does not care. Because he knows That if he can draw you away from God, he will take you from the only one who can restore you. From the only one who can heal you. From the only one who can bring resurrection. Resurrection. I want you to know this morning that Jesus sees. That Jesus cares. For some of you, and let me just say this as well. And I also want you to know he's not sitting idly by. He is not sitting idly by while the enemy has his way. He's preparing for battle. His nostrils are flared. His eyes are blazing and Jesus is ready to go to battle for you. He is ready to go to battle for you. I believe with all my heart that for some of you, This very day could be a day of resurrection. This very day, God may have brought you here just to hear the words, He has always seen. He has always cared. And He has always hated what sin has done to your life. Whether it was through your own actions or someone else's, it doesn't matter. He has always hated what sin has done to your own life. And He is here today to say, Would you come out? Would you come out? Come out of your tomb. Come to me. And let me give you life that is truly life. Now, I need to say that for some of you, God may be saying, I'm calling you to keep trusting. I'm calling you to keep trusting. You're not going to see the end of the plan today. It may be a long time before you see the end of the plan. And there, let me just say, there are some things that we will not know the end of the story until the great resurrection. When Jesus returns and suddenly 
all of the darkness will be gone and all of the confusion will be obliterated and we will finally see. And we will understand that God always had a plan. But I want you to know that even if that's the case, even if God is saying to you today, you're not going to know the end of the story yet. I want you to know you don't have to wait for that day to start living. Because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live. Not when you die, but the moment that you believe, you will live and you will never stop living for the rest of eternity. Jesus is saying, don't listen to that liar. Don't listen to the liar who would pull you away. Come unto me and let me give you I want to ask us to to close with a a worship song. We're going to have communion in a few minutes, but we're not there yet. I want us to start with just a song of worship. This is a song called Come to Me. And it is as though Jesus were saying these words. And I just want to ask you to stand and sing. I mean, it says in the song that there are times when he feels far away, but he's saying, come to me. Can we just stand and sing as an act of worship to this one who is calling us out into life. Let's sing it together.
salvation. He's calling you out. Out of the tomb, out of the darkness, out of the bondage, out of whatever it is. He's calling you out to come unto Him.